coming up on this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour brought to you by Hogbeat.com and Rivals. Arkansas just dropped a third straight SEC basketball game. Arkansas opening day is just two weeks out for baseball, so we'll preview another stellar lineup for the Hogs and give you the latest in recruiting with signing day just a week out. Let's do it. Everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour brought to you by Hogbeat.com and Rivals.com. I'm Nikki Chavanel, the managing editor, and I'm here with Andrew Hutchinson of Hogbeat.com. And we are your Arkansas insiders bringing you all the latest in the big three sports and occasionally some other stuff, some topical stuff as well. Um, Hutch, any, anything personal life, new stuff? I feel like we don't tell people much about us. Well, but baby's doing good. Yeah, yeah. Two months in, uh, we're we're doing we're doing good. We're getting kind of the the hang of things. It's definitely not easy. Are um, you excited or nervous for baseball season to start, especially when basketball's still going on? I'm terrified. <laughs> um, I I literally am not sure how it's going to work logistically. From uh, you know, right now, my wife has a job that allows her to work a little bit from home but she still works half days which means I'm at home by myself with the baby and you know these early season baseball games start at three o'clock so it, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how it all works out logistically um, God bless my wife because she's gonna probably be watching watching the baby for by herself quite a bit here coming up did she only get a month off uh, six six weeks that's that's standard so short. Uh, yeah it is it's very short. Um, but you know, I could probably go in on this way more than people care about. But like you know, other countries, you know, you can have you have paid maternity leave yeah. for long periods of time. You know, most places here, it's not even paid. I mean, luckily my my wife's boss was great and worked out something where she at least got paid a little bit something yeah. on the break. But uh, it it it's tough. So it, it's uh, it's quite the quite the challenge right now with a two month old. They're not quite uh, self-sufficient yet. <laughs> well, my three docs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, well, if anyone out there, okay, so we're playing around with the idea of getting Hutch a little helper for baseball, and Hutch would be a fantastic person to intern with. So if you have any sons or daughters out there at the U of A who would love to, you know, cover some Razorback baseball, it's never a bad time to cover Arkansas baseball. They're always doing very well. So. Um, reach out to us on Twitter. We're pretty available. Um, moving on to basketball. Last night we were both in the house for the one of the worst basketball games I've ever seen just from a flow standpoint. Arkansas lost to South Carolina 79-77. to It was their third straight SEC loss. Uh, so, you know, that was one that they really, really needed. Um, if you just look at where they fell in the net rankings, they fell 10 spots to number 38. That puts them just two spots ahead of Alabama, who they play on Saturday. So ugh, that was just a very bad time to not have a good game. Um, and Isaiah Joe was even able to play. Imagine if he wasn't able to contribute at all. Uh, that would have uh, been very bad. So 
I don't know. What, what were your biggest takeaways from that game? Are you concerned at all? Like, where do you feel like this sets Arkansas back to? It definitely sets Arkansas back because it's a game they should have won. It's a game that if you look at the ESPN Basketball Power Index, they had like an 85% chance to win. That was their highest percentage for any of their remaining 12 games. Uh, so it doesn't get any easier from here on out, uh, although I, I feel like Missouri should probably be a higher uh, percentage and maybe some other teams that aren't very good. Uh, but still, it was a game they should have won, a game that would have put them at 4-3, and three, which would have them among the huge group of teams that are tied at 4-3 and three in the standings. I think six of the 14 teams are at 4-3 and three right now, tied for fourth. Arkansas is 3-4, just a game behind that group, but in 10th place. So it's not a lot of margin room for error there. Definitely needed to win. The one, I guess, somewhat silver lining is that originally that looked like it was going to be a quadrant three loss because South Carolina was number 88 in the net rankings. Mm -hmm. uh, they have shot up, just like Arkansas shot down, they've shot up to 75, which I'm pretty sure puts that just inside the quadrant two uh, area. So it's not such a bad loss just because South Carolina, South Carolina is a weird team. They lost to Stetson and Boston University, but have beaten Virginia, Kentucky, and now Arkansas, Virginia and Arkansas both on the road. So maybe South Carolina turns it on and, and does well in conference play. They seem to struggle in non-conference and then do well in SEC play, but uh, not, not a good loss for Arkansas. And as you mentioned, you know, Alabama coming up on Saturday, uh, that's that's a game they really need to win because you, you don't need to be losing four straight conference games. Is this Nate Oates' second season, or is he a first-year head coach too? Like I believe he's a first-year head coach because he was a guy that I think it was on our, our hot board whenever Arkansas was looking yeah. for for a replacement, you know, out of Buffalo. That makes sense. Well, that's yeah, that's gonna be a big one. What time is that at? It's at five o'clock on Saturday. All right. Is there a baseball scrimmage too Saturday? Uh, yes, there is. I'm not sure what time, um, but we'll have, uh, we actually have one of our contributors, Scott Watkins, oh, yes. uh, who is helping Scott. us out. Because uh, I know you'll be busy with a bunch of recruiting, junior day, stuff like that. It's, it's going to be a busy day in Fayetteville for sure. Well, slash Tuscaloosa, where the game's going to be, the basketball game. So we're able to be upbeat despite the loss last night, but Eric Musselman was incredibly pissed off, um, especially... I mean, the first question I think that was asked was about the technical foul that was on the bench, and he immediately just picked up Hayes Myers and just threw him and just threw him under the bus. I mean, it's his fault. Like, you know, he apparently it's something he does often, like gets up off the bench and talks too much, and this time it just happened to cost them. I feel like that call right at that point in the game really halted momentum, and um, it also pissed a lot of people off because during the game it wasn't exactly clear who the technical was on and so a lot of people thought it was on Mus. and they were like oh well great time to get called for a tech coach but it wasn't actually him anyway not great from that standpoint um, he also just wasn't happy with the turnovers they had 16 which I don't know what Arkansas's average was before but it seems higher because they've been taking care of the ball a lot better lately and Mason Jones had seven although you could argue he made up for it quite a bit with his 34 points which isn't close to his career high I think 41 now but but he still did have a really a, great game for him did have a career high 12 rebounds right double double yes and I saw I think the Razorback base, basketball account tweeted out that his 34 and 12 is the first time since Bobby Portis 
put up those numbers. So. I also wrote that Stats. in my takeaways. Oh. That it was the, he was the first 30-point <laughs> double-double uh, since Bobby Portis. So. Hutch is a really good writer, guys. You should read that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> uh, well, maybe if he hadn't posted at midnight. I mean, this well, stuff is in-depth, so that's why it takes so long. But it's, That, it's and he also got a two-month-old. I have to get oh, back home, home and first? go home and take gotcha. care of a two-month-old. That's... Uh, they they eat on a very regular schedule. I don't know if you knew that, yeah. but every about every about three hours, Unlike they're, they're us. ready to eat. <laughs> We're like yeah. lunch. What's lunch? Exactly. I'm starving. <laughs> um, more takeaways. What what else did you get out of that game? Isaiah Joe is kind of cold right now, although he still ended with 16 points. So like. yeah, he made five three pointers. I saw people talking about that, like he doesn't need to be shooting it as much. But it's not like he was one of 14. I mean, he made five. He just started off pretty cold, so it seemed. Like yeah, he, he did. Was a bad night. He 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 missed his first, I think, four attempts. So when you take out that, he made five of 10 down the stretch. That you can't argue with that. And plus, it's Isaiah Joe, the most prolific. Well, at least single season, if he stays here long enough, probably the most prolific three-point shooter in the history of Arkansas. So I'm okay with it. An Isaiah Joe shot is a good shot. I think that's Eric Musselman's philosophy, and I tend to agree with it. Uh, the big thing, though, I, we haven't talked about this yet, but 40 freaking fouls in the second half. Mm -hmm. not, not in the game, yeah. but in the second half, a 20-minute period in which there were 40 fouls. Do the math, that's two a minute. It was... Awful. South Carolina was one of the top programs in the nation in in fouls, though. Yeah, they were third third in terms of average fouls per game. So that's automatically going to bump you up. And then Arkansas started off shooting poorly, so I feel like they took it to the rim more, and then that you know caused more contact and stuff like that. But that was I a mean, crazy thing. Like, and then ten dunks from South Carolina. I was yeah. astounded. That was the crazy thing about the fouls is there there were seventeen in the first half. That that's about normal. That's yeah. pretty average. Not, not anything to raise an eyebrow at. Uh, and then there were 40 in the second half. And the crazy thing is, Eric Musselman, just based on what he was saying after the game, he wished there were more fouls in the game because he wished that his team would have not settled for how many? 26 three-pointers? Yeah. He would have rather them attack the basket, get to the free-throw line, which is another thing. They have absolutely sucked at the free-throw line the last five games shooting barely over 60%, something like that. You got Maybe Chaney, 64. one from four, and Harris, one of four. So yeah, and six points between the two three of them. Three of six by Jimmy Witt. You know, he's not always Sills a great. Sills missed three. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was not – if your name wasn't Mason Jones, who went 15 of 16, Arkansas shot just abysmal, under 50% uh, as a team take away Mason Jones. So really got to take care of the ball. I mean, when, in a, in a two-point game – you know, when you miss, I guess it was, what, 14 free throws? Just just make three of those and you win the game. You know, one thing I really, really appreciate about Eric Musselman, on top of many other things that I could probably go on about for a long time, he just was not making any excuses last night in the press conference. I mean, we were kind of harping on the last play and the last few minutes of the game, but he was like, what about the entire game? We played like crap. I was just like man this guy is not pulling any punches I mean you you covered Mike Anderson for quite a while I covered him for one season or two I don't know one season I one think. season uh, <laughs> it felt like a long time um, his press conferences like you just didn't get much 
out of it. You didn't get and anything. if you ask something negative, he just wouldn't really speak. No, I'll it. never forget him getting super pissed at me when I asked him about uh, Jalen Harris and Gabo Saboyan shooting three pointers. Because yeah. they were both just awful three point shooters. And I was like, do you talk to them about you know taking better shots? And he just looked at me and was like, I tell my guys to take good shots. Yeah. I'm like, but they shoot like 11%. That's not good. Uh, so yeah, I, you get you got nothing from Mike Anderson press conferences because you could ask him even when you ask him something positive like, "Hey, Isaiah Joe has been playing really well lately. What have you liked from what he's done lately?" And he'd be like, "Well, Isaiah's done great, but also," and then you go roll call. Know, Jalen Harris, uh, Mason Jones, Reggie Chaney, Keyshawn Embry-Simpson, all these guys, they're all great. And I'm like, well, I didn't ask about those yeah. 12 other guys. I asked about this one specific guy. Muscle will give you a good chunk for and he goes, any player. And he goes in-depth. I yeah. mean, he really challenges your basketball knowledge. I mean, there's stuff that he says that's like very technical X's and O's where I'm like having to double check with <laughs> people that are better basketball yeah. minds than me. I mean, I know the game, don't get me wrong, but... Man, he, you can tell he's a former NBA coach because he really goes in-depth with it. And I think it's great. It's great for us as media members because we learn the game better. We learn the team better. But it's also great for the fans because they learn the team better. Um, so Arkansas has Alabama on Saturday. They're at 15-5. and five. It just sucked the timing of that because you had just put out your first ESPN BPI projection for the rest of the season and I think the highest percent chance was Arkansas going 23 and 8 and that's damn good for Eric Musselman's first season with the roster that he has but now do you know how much that th threw it off did you check I haven't updated the numbers however uh, whenever you, you gotta remember that that was the highest percentage I mean right. 85 percent uh, I think the so next can... highest was 22 and 9 maybe yeah 22 and 9 was the next highest so that's probably the most likely now yeah. uh, although some of the other games adjustments uh, have probably altered that as well but anything above 20 wins first year I thought was going to be incredible for Eric Musselman because what they have I mean they don't have a big man I mean they've got a 6-6 big man in the starting lineup they go up as, as big as 6-8 I mean they talked about the big big lineup last night Musselman did and when he says that, he's talking about A.J. Bailey and Reggie Chaney. Those, those guys aren't big, big. I mean, those guys are fours. Uh, you, they don't have a true five. Uh, so, yeah, if you drop down that percentage to zero, uh, the most likely, without changing any of the other percentages, the most likely uh, is now uh, the 22-win yeah. season, uh, followed very closely by the 21 season. It, it completely flipped uh, how the, the schedule is kind of weighted the rest of the, year, uh, rest of the way. So Arkansas really kind of needs to win one that maybe they shouldn't uh, to really be a strong contender for the tournament. That South Carolina game seemed like, you know, one a loss that could kind of keep them off the bubble, which is unfortunate. So they're going to need some good luck to make it to the tournament. But overall, the expectations weren't very high, which is kind of nice for them. I mean, if they were to lose four more games, like, that's – that seems like nothing. They they can definitely weather that. Um, it's it's just nice to have a team that does well, and then you get so disappointed when they do poorly. It's not just like oh, just another loss. I was legitimately concerned that this team was going to finish with a losing record. I, I really was. I thought if they made it to the NIT this year, that that would be a successful season. Now, as well as they've played, beating Indiana, getting off to a three and one start in conference play. 
uh, only losing one non-conference game. I think that kind of changed expectations where you're thinking, oh, man, this team's going to make the NCAA yeah. tournament. It's just a matter of what seed they are. I think that kind of changed things. But still, mm-hmm. keep it in perspective, NIT would be successful. Uh, I But right now, you know, my concern of having a losing record, they would have to literally lose every game the rest of the way to have yeah. a losing record. If they win one more, they're guaranteed at least a 500 record, which – is good. Obviously, you want them to win more than just one of the last 11 games, uh, 12 if you include the SEC tournament, and I think that's totally doable. They need five more wins to get to 20. That's a really, I mean, that's still a fantastic first season for Eric Musselman. All right, guys, when we come back, um, baseball season is just two weeks away, so we're going to let Hutch do a little brain dump on y'all about the, the starting lineup, so stay tuned. Okay, we are back. Uh, we are hogbeat.com. Just a little shout out. You can get 30 days free at any time if you haven't before um, with code HOGS30, or you can go to the website. We have little links. You just click it, it'll put in the promo code for you, and then you get 30 days free, and that'll take you through signing day and a little bit of the baseball season. And by the time you sign up and get through baseball season, I think you're going to want to stick around because uh, Hutch is one of the best in the biz covering baseball. I don't think anyone goes as in-depth as he does, and our subscribers sure seem to appreciate it all season long. Um, Hutch, who does Arkansas start the season against? Eastern Illinois. <laughs> they, that sounds uh, familiar. Yeah, that it's a team that the uh, football team uh, opened uh, with they won. in 2018. That was one of Chad Morris's four wins. Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, they also opened a season against the Arkansas baseball team recently. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. So it's it's a relatively common opponent, uh, and they, based on what Dave Van Horn said, they have a guy that's going to start Friday that is a potential high draft pick that throws really really hard. So it may not be just your typical gimme game at least on Friday. So. Uh, make sure you make it out to Bomb Stadium, Bomb Walker Stadium, uh, for the opener on February 14th, which, in case you can't remember, guys, that is Valentine's Day. Just help, help you remember. Uh, that's <laughs> unfortunate for me, considering it's opening day. Doesn't mean I'm going to get to spend a lot of time with my wife. Get the flowers in the morning. Pro- hopefully maybe goodies. celebrate like on the 13th to take yeah. her out to dinner or something like that. We're, we're still working that out. <laughs> um, so you just put up your kind of broad view of the starting lineup. Hit me with the highlights of these guys. Well, I think the first thing that jumps out at you is a new guy and hitting the leadoff spot. You know, last year, Trevor Ezell uh, pretty much manned that spot, if I remember correctly. Uh, he is gone. He was a senior. Now you welcome in another transfer from the junior college ranks this time, uh, Braden Webb. He's a guy that missed uh, most of the fall uh, didn't scrimmage against either Oklahoma or Oklahoma State because of an injury. Uh, he, he hurt his shoulder d- making a diving catch early in practice, uh, but he can really swing it. He got off to about as hot of a start as you can have in the first two days of practice uh, this past weekend. Uh, he had a triple, a double, and two home runs, one of which was a grand slam. He was hitting like 700, something like that, just something crazy through two games. Cooled off a little bit in the third scrimmage, but is still, I think, got a lot of potential. Uh, he'll be manning that left field spot, uh, which was vacated by Christian Franklin last year, who was moving over to center field to take the place for Dominic Fletcher. Uh, so that's kind of the new guy in the outfield. Um, Heston Kerstad is back. Nailed it. 
Um, <laughs> tell me how he's been progressing. I'm sure Dave Van Horn has talked about him a bit. Well, he's been about as consistent as you can be. Uh, he has 87 hits in both his freshman year and his uh, sophomore year, only about four, and that difference of about four at-bats. So his batting average has been almost identical his first two years. Has hit 31 home runs. He is a first-team preseason All-American by basically every publication that releases such a team. He is the superstar. He is a guy that uh, Arkansas is going to count on, going to be part of that two-hole. That's a little bit of a new kind of thing uh, teams do now. You put your power hitter in the two-hole uh, opposed to the middle of the lineup. Uh, they did. That's what Chad. Uh, Why David, is that? Well, you know, in the past, the two-hole was where you put kind of a guy who still had a little bit of speed, maybe mm -hmm. not as much as the leadoff guy, who put the ball in play and could sacrifice. He could sack bunt, move the leadoff guy into scoring position for your three and four-hole hitters, who were typically more of your guys driving runs. But uh, now you, you put that guy in the two-hole because he's going to get more at-bats. He's up higher in the lineup. Why put him down at the four- or five-hole spot? Because he may not make it all the way back around to him for a fifth at-bat in the game, and you need him getting as many at-bats as possible. Uh, so I think that it's kind of a new thing. They started with Chad Spanberger back in 2017. They've continued it, and now he's going to take the two-hole spot this year. Uh, but the big thing with him is, is where he was going to play in the, in the field. He's been a corner outfielder his first two years. Uh, there's been talk of him playing first base. He played some in the fall. Uh, didn't do bad as, as far as I remember watching in the scrimmages, but also based on what the coaches said. He could play some first base this year still, uh, but I count on him sticking in right field most of the time. I mean, he's got, he's got a cannon for an arm, and he can throw guys out. So uh, I think he'll, he'll stick in the outfield uh, for this season. You've got Matt Goodhart, a Arkansas native in the three-hole. What does he bring in this year? Well, the big thing with him is getting healthy. Uh, he had off-season shoulder surgery. Uh, if he didn't, he probably would be looking at your starting first baseman, but uh, he's not quite healthy yet, mm. fully recovered from that. So he'll probably start at the DH, which is where he was last year when he led the team in hitting. Doesn't have a ton of power. Might have a little bit more this year, assuming he can get back to full strength. Uh, but I saw him in the scrimmage. Uh, on Monday, which speaking of Kerstad, I saw him at two opposite field home runs in the scrimmage, which was impressive, but that's Kerstad doing Kerstad things. Uh, Goodhart, uh, I don't think had a hit in the game I saw, but he did have a solidly hit ball caught, tracked down at, on the track uh, by Christian Franklin in center field. So it was, it was good to see him make solid contact uh, a couple of times in that scrimmage. And, and I think he'll be able to hit fine with the injury. He's just not quite recovered where he can throw the ball uh, like you might need to if you're in the field. At shortstop and in the four hole, we got Casey Martin, a fan favorite, of course. Um, was in a bit of a hitting slump. How's he doing so far in the scrimmage that you saw? It was better than the first two scrimmages. I didn't get to see the first two, and in those, he struck out, I think, in three of his five at-bats. That's not good. That's mm -hmm. what he's been struggling with. Yeah. He set a school record for single-season uh, single school record for strikeouts last year. Uh, he needs to learn how to hit the off-speed stuff. That's not a secret. It doesn't take a baseball expert to know that and see that. I think he's improved. Is he going to be awesome at it and never strike out on that kind of stuff this year? No. But I also expect him to hit better than what he did last year when he was in the 280 range. I think he, he may not be at the 330, 340 range as he was as a freshman, but I still see him hitting over 300, which if he does... Last year, he was still hitting the ball really hard, had a bunch of home runs, I think 15, 16, something like that. 
and had a really high slugging percentage. I think he's still going to be a solid player. Everyone's concerned about his defense at shortstop. I think that's going to take care of itself. He did commit, I think, the SEC, the most errors in the yep, SEC. I remember those. Uh, but a lot of them, if you go back and look at a lot of them were just basic routine plays. I think if he settles down and just makes the routine plays, he'll cut those errors in half, and he'll actually be considered a, a very good defensive shortstop. At five, we got Christian Franklin, center fielder. Uh, I feel like I read that he might be like a breakout guy this year. What do you think? Yeah, he uh, really kind of struggled at the plate last year. He was in the field as a freshman because of his defense. Very good defender. That's why he's taken over for Fletcher. Yeah. Might not be as smooth as Fletcher, but very few people are. Uh, so the defense is there. The, the question is, can he hit? And he, if you remember, was about the only guy that was really good offensively in the College World Series. He continued that through the summer, playing in the California Collegiate League, was an all-star in that league, uh, hit well over 300, and he has apparently carried that over through the fall and also is hitting well so far in these scrimmages, preseason scrimmages. Uh, so he's a guy I think the offense is going to be there, uh, and I, I'm anxious to see how well he can hit. That's why he's all the way up in the five hole. If you remember last year, he was usually in the seven, eight, nine hole. I do remember that actually. Um, we got Casey Opitz, catcher, team captain, all-around hero for the team. Just an amazing player. What's he got this year? Well, everyone knows he's a great defender. Uh, he was robbed uh, of being on the SEC All-Defense team last mm -hmm. year. I still cannot fathom how in the world <laughs> he did not get that honor, uh, but I am sure he gets it this year. I mean, he has a cannon. He throws base stealers out. Kevin Copps said he almost doesn't want to try to pick people off because he wants them to try to steal because he knows it's going to be an easy out. Uh, the question is, can he hit this year? Catchers aren't typically asked to hit a lot, uh, but if they do, it's a bonus. He, he had the worst batting average among the regular starters last year, but uh, he, he's bigger this year. He's added about 25 pounds, you can tell. So adding some power maybe, he gets hit some home runs. He was very clutch last year. That was the thing I remember most is he may not have had the highest batting average, but he had, I think, two, maybe three uh, game-winning hits. So uh, that's what you want out of a team captain, and I think he's going to make a jump offensively as well. At seven, we have Cole Austin, first baseman. If I'm reading this right, transfer? Yes, yes. He began his career at West Virginia, transferred to Arizona State, battled some injuries, couldn't get healthy, and then became a grad transfer and is now on his third school in the third major conference. Uh, quite the journey. Uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see what he can do because in, in the fall he was at third base, and he made some pretty nifty plays in the hot corner. I thought he was going to be a really good third baseman. Uh, but the injury to Goodhart, him not being quite ready to play first base, has kind of caused them to shuffle the infield, and now he's over at first base. He played at Summit Arizona State. Uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see what he can do offensively. I think he's a solid player. I don't think he's going to be a guy that you necessarily look at and hits you know, 10, 12 home runs, but I think he is a solid uh, hitter for maybe the, the seven hole. And then eight, Jacob Nesbitt, third base, Texas native. What's new with him? So I think the biggest thing with him, what I was hoping to see from him in, in the offseason was to add strength. Mm -hmm. uh, there were times last year he was the second lowest batting average uh, just behind Casey Opitz, and a lot of the times he, would, he had warning track power. 
he, he would hit a ball that looked mm -hmm. good, it just, he didn't have enough strength and it was caught at the track. Or he would hit a ground ball up the middle, but it was too soft where the shortstop was able to track it down and throw him out at first base. So if he added strength, I thought he was going to be a lot better. I think he's done that. He's, I think he's added 10 pounds this offseason. Uh, so I'm anxious to see what he can do offensively. Uh, but again, he's he's out there for his defense. He was a guy that was gonna play second base, but with the good heart stuff, the reshuffle, he is now back at third base where he was last year. And he was it was honestly phenomenal. I think there's a high standard Arkansas fans have for third baseman because they still remember Bobby Wernis from a few years back uh, being just incredible. He's not quite Bobby Wernis level, but he is very good defensively. Made a great play against Ole Miss in the Super Regional, and uh, I expect nothing less from him this year. In the final spot, Robert Moore. I'm going to limit you to a minute 30 on this guy, but he's already making a bunch of headlines, and he was a big pickup for Dave Van Horn. Yeah, this guy should be a senior in high school right now, and he is already playing for the Razorbacks in the SEC, the toughest conference in college baseball. And he's I saw five him. On, nine, he's yeah, guy. he is little. He's basically <laughs> my size, like 5'9", 160, 165, very little, but you wouldn't you would be surprised at what he did. I mean, I saw Monday he ripped a triple down the, the right field line, ignored the stop sign at second and turned, stretched the double into a triple, and then he hit an opposite field home run, which I didn't think he had it in him. I, I mean, I thought he was a guy that was going to hit for average, maybe add the power later in his career. I mean, this kid's 17 years old. As I said, he should be worrying about who he's going to take to prom this year, much less trying to hit you know, Vanderbilt and Florida and LSU pitching. We don't quite have time to get into the pitching staff on this episode, but let's do that next week. That was awesome. For the rest of the episode, I'm probably going to be touching on a lot of recruiting, get to some of y'all's questions, and that's about it. Thanks a lot, Hutch. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hogbeat Hour podcast. It's Nikki Chavanel. I'm going to be breaking down recruiting as we inch closer and closer towards National Signing Day 2020, uh, late signing day as we like to call it now. Arkansas has six signees already, a handful of early enrollees already on campus. They picked up Jerry Jacobs, a graduate transfer corner from Arkansas State, and they also picked up Felipe Franks, of course, graduate transfer quarterback from Florida. Um, those were two great pickups, and then they added seven more commits, so not many spots left in this 2020 class. They have 18 now. They could go up to anywhere from 22 to 24 between now and signing day. Arkansas is hosting a few more important official visitors, but this weekend also has a lot to do with the preferred walk-on prospects that they're courting leading up to National Signing Day because those guys, too, also sign some paperwork and uh, they have ceremonies and all that stuff, and they're still very important. Arkansas has a history of turning walk-ons into big contributors here at Arkansas, so... Uh, Catrell Wallace, a 2020 signee, he'll be on campus for his official visit. Xavier Kelly is a guy that we put out the story for this morning. He is a grad transfer defensive tackle from Clemson. Um, Kelly started his career 
at Clemson as a four-star defensive end prospect weighing about 247 pounds at six foot four and then he packed on roughly 50 or 55 pounds and he is now over 300 and playing defensive tackle. Um, he was kind of buried on the depth chart at Clemson but was still able to put up some numbers when he did get in games. He got a few sacks here and there. Um, so who knows? I mean at this point Looking at who Arkansas has on the board at defensive tackle, they're only bringing in one more kid, Andy Boykin. He is from um, Georgia, and he looks to have just Arkansas and Auburn in the mix, but um, he is going to be tough to qualify academically. So uh, Xavier Kelly seems like a really smart choice. I watched a little clip of him from the ACC network, and Apparently, he's a very, very talented artist. He does a lot of, like, sketches on his, like, Surface Pro or, you know, those kind of tablet devices that you can draw on. Um, and, and he's done some pretty impressive work, including some tattoo work for some of his teammates and friends. So, seems like a very impressive young man. He did an internship with Adobe, which is really sweet, um, but excited to see if uh, this is a good fit for him here at Arkansas because they could definitely use a new interior defensive lineman with McTelvin Ajim and TJ Smith uh, graduating. They'll also host, potentially, uh, we'll probably know after 6 p.m. tonight, um, they'll host Jake Ray, who is a tight end from Florida. He's actually a two-star with some okay offers. Um, I talked to the Florida analyst about him. He said he's just a bit slow, but looking at his film, I mean, he looks like a really good blocker, so um, I'm very interested in him. He's currently committed to um, UNLV and also being courted by Arizona State leading up to signing day, so a prospect that a lot of guys across the country are still kind of eyeing as tight end classes are filling up around the nation. They'll also host um, Kevin Compton, who is a wide receiver, Jackson Woodard, a linebacker, Chandler McIntosh, a linebacker, Truett Tollett, he is a wide receiver, and then also um, Brooks Both, who is an inside linebacker. So a lot of preferred walk-on prospects. Um, I'm not going to say I know everything about these guys, but we will have a ton of info for you on all of them this weekend on Hogbeat. When we come back, I'm going to talk you through what we're looking forward to for signing day, who is going to be making decisions, and who is making a big decision tonight, um, Thursday night. So, guys, on Friday, you probably will already know what happened, but uh, I'll walk you through Brandon Frazier's impending decision. All right, everybody, to wrap up this last piece of the show, we're going to be talking through all the rest of the guys that are either going to decide before or on National Signing Day, and it looks like the majority of guys are going to be giving us a surprise on National Signing Day. But Brandon Frazier, uh, Texas tight end, a four-star some places, a three-star by rivals, but a top 100 prospect coming out of the state of Texas. He's between Arkansas and Auburn. Um, I expect him to pick the Auburn Tigers because of his relationship with Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn. But if he picks um, 
Arkansas, then that'd be great for them because they only have two scholarship tight ends. But regardless of what he uh, just picked, because it was at 6 p.m. Thursday night, um, Arkansas is still targeting um, East Texas tight end Alan Horace from Crockett High School. He is a former Arkansas commit, um, but his lead recruiters here from Arkansas are recruiting him now at UTSA. Um, Jeff Trailer and Barry Lunny are going after him very hard. He just took his official visit there, but he is going to Ole Miss this weekend. Uh, he told us when he was here at Arkansas that he couldn't make the choice about what would be best for him if he didn't see them all, so he wanted to go to UTSA and Ole Miss. I think Arkansas still has the upper hand, but I don't think you can count the other two schools out. Um, I couldn't really say either way. I just think Arkansas has a slight lean there. Um, Losing him to Ole Miss would be pretty devastating. Um, Losing him to UTSA, I honestly feel, would be a little bit more understandable because of Jeff Trailer and Barry Lunny and how good at recruiting um, they are. Um, Moving on, offensive line, it's a big worry. Robert Scott committed to Florida State this week in a um, not very surprising move, but I did think Sam Pittman might have a very good shot at keeping him in state, but turns out he wanted to go to Florida, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, but Marcus Henderson is a three-star offensive tackle out of Tennessee, and he will decide on national signing day between Arkansas and Georgia and Ole Miss. Um, I don't think he's got a spot open for him at Georgia because they have six offensive line commits already. Um, And then at Ole Miss, they have a deal with him, maybe play some defense, maybe play tight end. Um, And Arkansas is selling him purely on playing offensive tackle or offensive guard, offensive line, period. Um, So if that's what he wants to do, he'll come to Arkansas. Uh, I I feel good about that there. I think they'll get him along with Jalen St. John, uh, Missouri four-star offensive lineman and former uh, commit for Brad Davis over at Missouri. So fully expect that to carry over on National Signing Day, and I think they'll get both of those guys, which would be big, along with Ray Curry, who they already have signed in the 2020 class. We've also got Savion Williams, the uh, three-star wide receiver out of East Texas. He's deciding between SMU and TCU, and Arkansas, and he's a former Arkansas commit. Uh, Justin Stepp was obviously retained here at Arkansas, so that gives them a big boost. He's seeing him Friday night for his basketball game, so um, Arkansas will have one more shot at him. He did cancel his official visit that he was going to take to Texas this weekend um, because they came in so late. He was like, nope, I'm going to stick with the schools that were recruiting me. Um, I can't imagine SMU really winning this battle, even though he said he likes the coaches there a lot. Um, But it might be tough to get him out of Texas. He's an East Texas kid. He's been there his whole life. It might be tough. If Arkansas doesn't get him, then they just have Darren Turner in this class. He's already enrolled, so not too bad in the grand scheme of things, considering they already are returning their three starting wide receivers from last season. Overall, oh, I'm missing Malik Hornsby. Uh, That's a big decision that's going to come on National Signing Day. He's visiting Baylor this weekend. He is a three-star quarterback. Uh, 
He's now a three-star. He used to be a four-star. That's a long story that I'm sure Hogbeat subscribers could argue with me about for days. But um, So he's going to be deciding on National Signing Day. And right now, all the future casts, all the crystal balls are all going in favor of Arkansas right now, but he hasn't visited Baylor yet. So I can't count them out, but I still think it's a very strong chance that he ends up here with Kendall Bryles, who has been recruiting him for about four years now since he was a freshman. So they have a very, very long relationship, and I think that he would be a perfect get for Arkansas and for Kendall Bryles' system although I don't know how ready to play he would be for the SEC. He's not an early enrollee, which is very common for guys that do start as true freshmen um, at this level. So Arkansas could finish very strong here. Um, the only guys I don't see them really getting are um, Broderick Jones, obviously the five-star. Um, they could miss on Savian Williams. Brandon Frazier, they could miss on him, but... Uh, that's not very surprising because Auburn is, you know, a much healthier program at this point. And then Alan Horace. Missing Alan Horace would be a killer. They really need him for depth. And he's a, he's a really good-looking player. So um, Arkansas won't have a chance to finish in the top 25 classes doing the math. I just don't think they'll have the star power to do it. But a top 35 class would still be incredibly impressive with the amount of time that Sam Pittman has had to recruit. Comparing Arkansas's class to Ole Miss and Mississippi State, um, well, Mississippi State had a huge advantage because um, Mike Leach didn't have to recruit most of those players. They were already signed when he got there because they fired Joe Moorhead so late. And Lane Kiffin, not a lot of his commits decommitted because they didn't fire Matt Luke two games with two games left in that season. So a lot of their commits stayed locked in until they found out who was the new head coach. So they had a much bigger advantage than Sam Pittman does here at Arkansas. But I think they've done a pretty good job considering the, the circumstances and getting really good guys to campus. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. It's going to be a very, very long weekend with junior day visits and everything. So you can... Get that list on hogbeat.com. Check out all the in-state talent that's going to be coming to the Hill. They're getting on them early. Have a good weekend, everybody.